We've probably all played charades at some point in our lives, right? You secretly get a word or a phrase and then you act it out and people have to guess what that word or phrase is. We're gonna do a couple here this morning, okay? You ready? No? You just shout it out, okay? You ready? All right. How about this one? Hey, this one's going to be a little harder, I think. Okay. Hey, there we go. Give it up for yourselves. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are so embarrassed for me right now. I don't have that gene, so it works out really good. How does this work, though? What happens is you get a message from my actions. In the four accounts of the life of Jesus called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus training and teaching his followers a message. And then in the book of Acts, we see them acting out that message of Christ. Luke is the author of both uh, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And he's a traveling co-worker of Paul. He's also, though, a physician. And being that Paul had quite a few health problems, this probably came in handy, especially while Paul was in prison. So Luke tells us in the first few verses of Acts that this book is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. If you don't bring one with you, there's one right there in front of you in your pew. Acts chapter 1. And we're going to systematically go through this book over the next 12 weeks. Acts covers somewhere around the first 30 years of this brand new thing called the church. Think about how exciting and uncertain it would be to step out as believers in the resurrection and follow Jesus in a world that was bent on persecuting you. And against all odds, this thing has built steam for 2,000 years and has led us up to this moment right now. The church. Written around 62 AD, Acts is 28 chapters in which will be hard to cover in just 12 weeks. Many pastors, when they do a series on Acts, they do 20 or 30 weeks. So there's definitely going to be some really amazing stuff that we're going to have to skip over. So I encourage you to read this book for yourself over the next three months. That's only 2.33333 chapters a week. Easy peasy, right? But traditionally, this book of the Bible is called the Acts of the Apostles. But while different apostles do appear in this book, really the only singular character is Jesus and the working of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts shows the starting of the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was a new thing for these believers, these followers of Jesus. Before Jesus, they went through priests, and during Jesus' life, they followed Jesus. But when he left, he promised them that a comforter would come. And this was that very special time. God was about to show off. Amazing and unbelievable things happened during this time of Acts. And the gospel is spread all over the known world. The book of Luke ends with this cliffhanger of Jesus after the resurrection saying to his disciples that you knew of all these prophecies that the Messiah would suffer and die and on the third day raise again and then next that the repentance and forgiveness of sin must be proclaimed to the world 
And he tells them to go into all the world and preach. And now was that time. Now was the time to go. But first, Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem until he gave them the signal. And then Jesus ascends to heaven. And the disciples worshipped God and went to the temple. And they were filled with joy as they waited for what was next. And that's the end of the book of Luke. So that's the first part. The second part is the book of Acts. And in this book of Acts, we see first Peter and then Paul preparing to go into the world and preach the gospel. And then they do it. They take the message and then they act it out, just like charades. First in Jerusalem, then in Judea, and then as far as Turkey and Syria and Greece and Italy. They traveled some by sea, but probably mostly by foot. Remember, this would have been hundreds and hundreds of miles that Peter and Paul walked and the others that were with them. Now, where the rest of the disciples ended up preaching the gospel is a little bit harder to tell. Andrew seems to have gotten as far as the southern border of Ukraine. Philip looked like he headed to North Africa in a city called Carthage. Matthew in Africa in a place called Ethiopia. Bartholomew in India. He had, Jesus had told these men to go into the world, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So needless to say, the church was diverse and multicultural from the start. This explosion of Christianity that followed was nothing sort, uh, short of miraculous. But at the beginning of the book of Acts, they were just preparing to go and spread the gospel. And that's where we kick off in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. So look in your Bibles there and read along with me. In the first book, Luke is saying, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostle whom he had chosen, he had presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. We see here that Luke has, and Acts both are written to a man named Theophilus. We don't know much about Theophilus except for that Luke was trying to tell him the whole story of Jesus and then the beginning of the church. The Gospel of Luke, he refers to Theophilus as, oh, excellent, most excellent Theophilus. That would have been a title reserved for Roman officials or maybe a person of high rank. We don't know how Theophilus reacts to these two letters detailing the hope of Jesus, but we do know that he got an amazing retelling of the whole story. We also do know that both Luke and Acts are not just story time for Theophilus, but it is an invitation for Theophilus to join into the story. And today, it is an invitation for you to join in to the continuation of this story as well. This isn't just about knowing information, but taking the message and act it out. How many of us have been in church for years and years and years, and we know all about the Bible, but we don't do anything with it? Acts is all about taking the message and pushing it out into the streets. Luke says to Theophilus that I've told you this story of Jesus' ministry before his death, and that his crucifixion, and then his glorious resurrection from the dead, and that Jesus proved to his followers that he was really alive and stayed and taught believers all about what to do next for 40 days after the resurrection. Verse 4. 
And while staying with them, he's talking about Jesus here, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Luke, once again, reiterates the instructions that Jesus gave them at the end of Luke. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And this is a good practice for us to do as well. It's easy for us to get gung-ho and impatient, and we want to move before God wants us to move, and we want to push it. But if you push it, you're going to mess it up. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Next, Luke reminds Theophilus about Jesus ascending to heaven. It's a good time to talk about what heaven is. Uh, heaven is not just a location within our cosmos as much as it is a different dimension and realm entirely. We often will point up for heaven and down for hell, and that's an easy way to describe it to a child. But heaven is God's space. It's a place characterized by the glory of God and his presence. And one day when Jesus returns again, our space and God's space will overlap with a new heaven and a new earth where the Father will walk among us just like he did in the Garden of Eden. Now, obviously, God is not far from us now. He is very near to us and in all places at once. But then we'll be fully known and fully know him. So when you picture this ascension, Jesus didn't fly off into space. He went to heaven and into God's presence, and he did it right before the disciples' eyes. Verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus ascends into heaven, and the disciples are left staring at the sky, kind of waiting for something else to happen. You ever do that with like a grand finale of fireworks, and you just see this amazing thing, and then you're kind of waiting like, is there going to be more, or is it? And that's what the disciples are doing. And then these angels come down. Luke calls them men in dazzling apparel. And the angels tell them, hey, he's coming back. Don't stand here waiting. Go out with the message that he gave you. So the 11 disciples and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and some other unnamed women and Jesus' brothers, they all head back to an upper room and begin to pray. They want to get ready for whatever is next. In the days that followed, the believers numbered about 120 of them, and it kind of dawns on them that, uh, and they remember what the disciple Judas had done when he betrayed Jesus, and they remember the prophecies in Zechariah about the Messiah being betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And that Judas killed himself because of the shame and guilt of it all, which is, is sad. And they decide that they needed to pick a few, uh, one new disciple to replace Judas. And they land on Matthias. And what they're doing is they're trying to get their house in order and preparing to get ready to act out the message that they have been given. And then the day finally comes that they have been waiting for. The followers of Jesus are all together, and they're in unity, and they're on the same page, and they're all focused on the mission of the gospel. They have made a habit of 
praying together. They were preparing. And for 10 days, this is what they did. And then we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Pentecost is the New Testament name for the Old Testament celebration called the Feast of Weeks. And this is a festival where the, uh, all the able-bodied Jewish men would travel to Jerusalem, bringing offerings and sacrifices to the temple as an act of thanksgiving for the harvest that God had given them. So picture this. Jerusalem is packed with people from all over the known world. Think of like the Italian Heritage Festival, but with just less freedies, right? <laughs> but all these people from different cultures and languages head to Jerusalem for this religious feast. And all the followers of Jesus are in this one place, waiting. Waiting is not a new thing for Christians. They waited for the promised land, and they waited for the coming Christ, and they're waiting here for the Holy Spirit. And now we're waiting for Jesus to return. Waiting. Verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Boom! Something big happens. Something like wind and something like fire. And they were suddenly filled with this thing that Jesus had told them to wait for. His name was the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the third part of the Trinity. Jesus was God with us and the Holy Spirit is God in us. Now the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord, would come upon people for a specific time and a specific purpose. But from here on out, the Holy Spirit was a seal on each believer and he wasn't going anywhere. In the Bible, wind is often a sign of power and control of God. And fire is a sign of purification and holiness. And then we see another sign. That this was the moment that they were waiting for. A sign that this was the time to go, uh, to go and, and, and to do what God had told them to do. A miraculous thing happened. And God allows them to speak those languages of the people that he had told them to go to. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. God is showing them with this Pentecost that it's time to go. And I'm going to give you what you need to go. But this is perfect, right? Because people from all over the surrounding countries were in Jerusalem right now. And for this one day, the uttermost parts of the world came to them. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude, they came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So these believers, they leave the upper room and they go out into the city. And the people that are in Jerusalem are from all over the world. They're freaked out because they see these lowly, uneducated Galileans speaking all kinds of languages and praising Jesus. I've been to a few other countries that speak other languages and by day three or four, it is always a great relief when you find somebody that speaks English. You identify with that. I was in a small restaurant in Indonesia, 
and we were eating there, and then all of a sudden the band behind us started playing, country roads, take me home. And David Holm was there with us, Ben Moses from Simpson Creek, and we're just like, what are the odds that these three West Virginians are in across the world? But we identified with that, and we noticed that. And it's important to note this act of speaking in tongues. They were real, known languages. And the purpose was to be able to share the gospel with these people that had come to Jerusalem in order to kick off the church in a big way. Jesus is showing them that he's not done with his work when he ascended to heaven. He was working through those that he left behind and he would give them the power to do it. Verse 9. Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God, and they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking say they're filled with new wine. God was doing something brand new. Jesus had told them to wait for the signal, and this was it. It was time to move. It was time to act out the message of Jesus Christ. And people from all over the world are hearing the gospel about the mighty works of God, and everyone's amazed. This was huge. But as per usual, when the Holy Spirit is moving, some people will mock, and some people will question it. Maybe out of jealousy, maybe out of lack of faith. But some people said, this isn't the moving of God. These people are drunk. Because that's a common side effect of being drunk, right? Knowing other languages. That happens all the time. (laughs) But most of the people are just amazed and intrigued by what's going on. This is a perfect step for Peter, a perfect chance for him to get up. And preach a message that will go down in history as the most effective gospel message ever. Yes, that same Peter that denied Christ three times not too long ago. Things have changed. Peter was changed by the resurrection. He was changed by this occurrence that we know as Pentecost. So Luke writes this Acts, this book, to Theophilus. And it's a follow-up to the Gospel of Luke. Jesus had left the disciples with instructions to go into all the world and preach the Gospel, but to wait for the signal. They prayed together. They were in unity together. They prepared together. They weren't doing nothing. They were preparing for the moment when Jesus would let them know it was time. And God lets them know that his power and holiness is with them. He does something brand new. And on this day of Pentecost, God allows them to go into the uttermost and give them the gospel while they're still in their own city. God is preparing from the very beginning to launch the church out into the world. It has never been about huddling together and waiting till Jesus comes back. It has always been about going into the world to the darkest corners and taking the gospel. He wants them to be supremely confident that he is with them because things aren't always going to be like this. 
Sometimes things were going to look dire and persecution would come. And even people within the church will try and distract them and get in the way of the gospel, of the mission, to pull people down. And it may be much harder to see God's hand at work. But the church here will always have this day to look back on, to strengthen their faith. Christ left his Holy Spirit for the church to empower us. So take comfort. 2,000 years ago, Jesus commands the early church to go, but to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit and to prepare their hearts and then act out the message of the gospel. And Christ left us with that same command to go today. We are direct descendant of this church in Jerusalem. And we still have this mission. God still has this same power. And we still have this message. You go act it out in Clarksburg, in Bridgeport, in Nutter Fort, in Stonewood, in Anamore, wherever you live and wherever you interact with people. Take the message bow our heads and close our eyes as the band comes. This time of invitation is for us to ask God, what's next? God, what do you want me to do with this information? Maybe you're a person today that you need to wait. Or you're passionate and you've got big plans, but you have been getting in front of God. And things haven't been going so well. And what you need to do is to prepare and to wait and to pray and to gather together with a group of people that are going in the same direction. And to prepare to be launched out. Maybe you're on the other side of it where... You gave up that idea of going out and acting out the message of the gospel a long time ago. You were kind of excited about it for a year or so after your salvation. And then you kind of just figured out, oh, that's not my thing. Maybe you did it once, you tried it once, and it didn't work out. And what you need to do is you need to be preparing. Because you're called. It doesn't matter your personality. Does it matter your job? Does it matter your gifting? Each and every one of us is called to take the message and act it out. So how you do that, it may look different. It may be inviting some people along on a hobby with you that you're doing and, and giving an opportunity for them to know Jesus. When I was a teenager, there was a a man in our church about 45 years old that took me and several other young men fishing. He was definitely not a preacher. He might even, every once in a while, say something that he shouldn't. But when he got us around the campfire, he'd tell us about how good God had been to him. And he was real, and he was authentic. And he made a difference in my life. And you can do that too, every single one of you. You have an opportunity to take your life and use it and leverage it for Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you today. It's not that you have a trouble waiting. It's that you have a trouble 
going and you've just kind of given up on that part. What you need to say today is, God, give me the boldness. God, help me to prepare right now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and show me where to go and I'll do it. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure that you're yet a follower of Jesus. Maybe you haven't decided to follow Jesus with your life. The Bible tells us that we have a problem, and that problem is sin. And sin is anything we think, say, or do that breaks God's law. And sin separates us from God. It started thousands of years ago. And ever since then, sin has hurt us and ruined this world. We couldn't get to God, so God came to us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born of a virgin. And he lived a perfect and a holy life. And he taught, and he did miracles and gave examples. And then he laid down his life on a cross, an innocent person, so that he might die for us, to take the punishment for your sin. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can do that today, right now. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can do it right now. The words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. But you let go of all your good works and everything you're holding on to, and you put your faith completely on what Jesus did on the cross as your only means to get to God. You could call out with something like this. Once again, the words aren't important about being genuine in your heart. You could say something like, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, please forgive me. I'm turning from my sin. And I'm turning to you. Thank you, Lord for saving me. If you made that choice today for the first time, or maybe the first time you really understood it, I'd love you to be able to write that back on, on your uh, connection card and just say, I chose Jesus. Put your email or phone number or, or something like that and give me a way to be able to contact you. I'd love to be able to tell you what's next. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for each of us, wherever we're at in this story, whether we need to wait because we've gotten in front of the Holy Spirit, or whether we need to start preparing to go when we've given up on that part of the Christian walk. Or maybe we're not yet a believer. God, wherever we're at, I pray you find us where we are and take us where we need to go. God, we trust you. God, I don't know what you have for Clarksburg Baptist Church. I don't have some grand plan. Except for that we need to follow you. We need to love people. And we need to go. God, help us to be that church. In your name we pray.